Blog Talk Radio. edition of the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson. We have our normal group of people going to join us this evening for sports conversation. Roy Cummings, as always, <clears throat> over there in Tampa, following the, the Bucks, the Lightning, and all the things that are happening in the Florida area. 
Roger Hendler, obviously, is in Atlanta, Georgia. The uh, Boston Celtics play in the Atlanta Hawks right now as we begin the show. And, of course, our executive producer, as always, Frank Carroll. And Frank has a little bit of a documentary, a little bit of a uh, something he wants to get into before we start the show. Thanks, Don. As you know, uh, uh, November 11th was last Friday was uh, Veterans Day. Uh, when we were growing up, it's called Armistice Day. And we want to pay tribute to each and every veteran out there that uh, no matter where they served, how long they served, we appreciate your service. And we also appreciate those members of the Gold Star family, and that's those who fought the loved one in, the, um, in battle, and also those uh, families who are Blue Star families because that means they have a son, grandson, or, or uh, sibling currently serving. So we wanted to send a big congratulations out there, and thank you very much for all your services. We also have to, to uh, I want to bring uh, people up to date. Uh, I did um, uh, have a chance to sit down with uh, Mike Schulte the other day, and he had just gotten a te- text from Leo. Uh, Leo is, is going to start uh, chemo, uh, not chemo, but uh, radiation therapy uh, this week, and uh, he'll be doing it for uh, uh, 28 weeks. Um, and uh, But he feels that the doctor told him that he's doing well, he's getting better. So. Uh, that and then we we have one more group of guys that listen faithfully to us. That's Dr. Craig Harkop, uh, uh, Mike Ryan, and Al Santiago. Uh, all three are are currently going through uh, radiation treatment for uh, prostate cancer and seem to be doing very well. So uh, we want to congratulate them on uh, getting the chance to ring that bell. And for those along the network that uh, have not been with us over the last 10 years or so, uh, Leo Haggerty, of course, a big part of the show for such a long period of time. And as Frank said, uh, we wish him very, very well. And Frank always uh, starts off the show with a little bit of a dedication to all the people that have worked with us or works in the community. So uh, let's jump right into the Fight Network Wednesday night edition. Roy Cummings is here. And before we get to the Eagles debacle on Monday night, let's go back to Sunday morning. Because I got to say, I was a little surprised by the performance of the Bucks. Uh, they really distinguished themselves in in uh, Munich. And uh, Roy, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I, I guess I was. A, yeah, I, I was a little surprised because you know I, I kind of got the feeling that look, this is kind of how the offense is over the course of the last you know three the previous three four games where they really struggled, but this kind of shows you that. You know, if they just commit to running the ball, uh, eventually it's going to work out for them. And I, and I think that's really the lesson that's been learned here is, you know, I think Tom Brady is clearly taking uh, advantage of his senior status uh, uh, in the NFL and, 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 you know, probably overruling some of the play calling that's uh, coming down from the top uh, and, and putting it, trying to put his stamp on this offense. And, and I think probably needs to just uh, – kind of check that at the door a little bit and and let this team do what it does best, which is uh, run the ball and set up play action uh, passes uh, so that he has the uh, the opportunity to go deep or hit some of those mid-range passes as he did against Seattle. Um, I thought the defense obviously was much better, uh, did a much better job of uh, obviously took the ball away for the first time in five games. That's a, that's a big uh, uh, advantage and that helps you. That proved extremely critical. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I thought they overall they played better, much better, uh, much more balanced in the offense. 
defense was more um, was more, was was much stronger, uh, even even against the run, and uh, against a very good uh, obviously runner and Nathan Walker. So uh, really a, a good game for the Buccaneers. Uh, when you play well and you beat a good team, uh, especially in a neutral neutral spot, uh, it, it's a, it's a really good sign of what's going forward. Now at the same time. Um, you know, I thought Geno Smith played a little bit more like the Geno Smith of old in terms of some of his decision-making. Uh, I think some of the play calling by Seattle uh, left a lot to be desired, uh, especially uh, late in the game. And uh, speaking of play calling, I'm not sure Tom Brady has ever been involved in a more embarrassing play and worse play call uh, and worse decision on a play call than what happened when they tried that, uh, that direct snap to Leonard Fournette, pass to Brady, Brady slips, falls, uh, balls intercepted, and then Brady gets a penalty for tripping the guy who, who uh, intercepts the pass. I mean, uh, he, he might have saved the touchdown, but boy, oh boy, as bad a play call as uh, at as bad a time as you could possibly make it, and uh, just ridiculous. Um, I'll tell you what, had the Bucks lost that game, there's a real good chance that a major change happens uh, at the play-calling position, uh, possibly even with offensive coordinator. A lot of talk down here, guys, about Byron Leftwich's, uh, you know, skill set and playing, you know, calling plays, uh, putting together offensive schemes, the whole bit. And uh, I, I honestly think that if they had lost that game, you might have seen a change at the offensive coordinator position, certainly a change in play-calling. And uh, so I think uh, – I think the most fortunate uh, person in the whole bunch uh, it was Byron Leftwich because what a horrible, ridiculous play call that he uh, threw out there in that game. And also uh, very, very fortunate that uh, Brady didn't wind up getting himself hurt on that play as well. But let's go to Roger. Were you up at 9.30, Roger, to see that one? Uh, uh, believe it or not, I did see uh, some of that game. And uh, I will tell you, I saw the highlight, the replay, and uh, any uh, comparison to the Philly special in the uh, Super Bowl is strictly coincidental. I mean, you know, I don't know what I don't know what the uh, intent was, but I agree with you, Roy. I mean, that was ridiculous. That play. and Roger, you know what? One of the worst things about it was was it was the second time they ran a play out of that formation. Uh, just about a series earlier, two series earlier, they had run a similar play with a direct snap to Leonard Fournette. Now you see it once, and and, and okay, now now you're looking out for it, and right. you, you can't run that play again. Now maybe the plan was to run that play the first time, and uh, and, and it didn't come off, you know, for some reason. But you don't go back to it. Once you've tried that, you don't go back to it. If you go back to it, you go back to it. You know, six eight weeks later. Uh, against another opponent. You don't go back to it uh, six minutes later against the same opponent, which is why it was just awful and uh, really embarrassing. So, you know, again, uh, Bucks played better, but um, they get still they still got some issues they got to work out. Fellas, I think that's one consistency of the Bucks so far this year uh, is the concern with Tom Brady not liking the plays that are being sent in or the way they're being executed. I think that's one of the biggest problems uh, you know, you go to a lot of different areas of defense at times and so forth and so on. But, uh, you know, the frustration on Brady in so many games uh, has really been fascinating. Well, Brady said to – he told the uh, – and, and, boy, you, you know, you guys may know this. You probably do. 
nobody gets more information than the uh, than the analysts and the, you know the networks that cover the game. Um, they get a meeting with the coach, the the, the quarterback, just about anybody they want uh, prior to the game Saturday night, and basically you know they kind of you know reveal their their game plan to them and. Uh, tell them some things about you know what what you know anything special that might be happening much as you know such like that uh, you know that uh, wildcat type play that they they ran um, you know they know that kind of stuff's coming and Brady apparently let it out that uh, you know he's been uh, he's been killing a lot of run plays in in favor of pass plays because he wants to throw the ball well Tom Brady needs to remember that you know this is not about him this is about uh, what's best for the team and. Uh, uh, I understand that they've been struggling to run, but they're also struggling to pass, and they need that. Uh, they at least need the, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, of of a running game to uh, to make the play action passes work. If they're going to work the, the passing game uh, as much as Brady wants, which is you know 45, 50 times a game, uh, they're going to have to run it a little bit at some point. And then again, I, I think that was the the real takeaway for me was the fact that. They did run it. Uh, they stuck with the run, even when it wasn't effective. They they stuck with it. Uh, it was mostly effective, and in fact, very effective. And uh, it, you know, you you're going to need that if you're going to set up some of those passes downfield. So, uh, and you know what, Julio Jones came to life too. So that's a big that's a big takeaway. With ten days to uh, rest up after that game going forward, he's somebody to watch as a weapon going forward because uh, they figured some things out with him as well. Well, we'll go right back to Roger. One note to Frank. Uh, we got a little bit of that leakage again on another line or whatever it may be, uh, Frank. We didn't have that the last couple of weeks, but we got it now. Uh, Roger, you're up. Okay. Okay. Well, a couple of things. Number one, it was funny. I was over uh, at uh, Margaritaville on Sunday, and that was when Julio caught the pass, uh, or, you know, had caught the pass in the game that everybody watched earlier. And <laughs> And the people there, obviously Falcons fans, oh, Julio finally got a pass. You know, so that was – but I I think what was also interesting, following up, uh, Roy, about uh, Brady uh, and the play calling, uh, how about on the uh, Sunday late game, uh, the national game with uh, the Packers and the Cowboys and the way Aaron Rodgers tore into his head coach right on the field? And rarely do you ever see that. But he – did you? I don't know whether you saw it or not. Did you see it, Don? I did. I saw it. I don't I, – he came off the field, and you can tell – he. but he's done that a couple of times this year, Roger, to be honest with you, uh, with either the head coach or somebody else. And uh, that, that's not unusual for him this year. Uh, Roy, what do you think? No, I agree with you, Don. Uh, it's not the first time he's done it this year. Uh, it's not the first time he's done it with his head coach. Um, you know, he's done this before, and it's not a good look. You got to keep no. that stuff. Uh, you got to keep that stuff in house. You want to tear into the guy? That's not the time to do it. Um, or you got to figure out a different way to do it so that it doesn't look like. Uh, so it does. You know, so it doesn't uh, alarm everybody. Uh, because you know, at the end of the day, what happens is uh, when players see you know the top player on the team. Uh, you know, treating the coach that way, you lose a little bit of respect for the coach. I mean, what's the coach going to do? I mean, he could, you know, fire right back at him and, and bench him if he wants to, which would, uh, you know, end up hurting the team. So he's not going to do that. But um, it's just a bad situation. And you can't you can't be like that. If you don't like the play calling, uh, there's a way to, to, you know, to get that message across uh, without, you know, 
all the fanfare and uh, and all the vitriolic, uh, you know, all the you know all the, uh, the the arm waving and 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 curse words and things like that. So, yeah, but uh, you know we've seen it before from Aaron Rodgers. He has these moments, and uh, I think it's just again. You know, the more you learn about Aaron Rodgers, it's a lot. It's a lot about Aaron Rodgers, and uh, oh, yeah. I know he wants to win, but um, you know he doesn't seem to really. Sometimes he just doesn't. Uh, he doesn't think things through. I mean, let's 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 put it that way. He doesn't. He doesn't well, always I, think everything through. Yeah, I think Roy. I don't think there's ever been the best relationship between him and the coach uh, since they made that draft pick of that quarterback, and you know he wasn't consulted. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of turmoil uh, in the Packers organization then about that uh, with him. And you're right. I mean, it's uh, and that's the same thing with Brady wanting to throw the ball 50, 50 times. I mean, uh, you know, it's a team game, not an eye game. Yeah, you're right. Uh, unfortunately, you know, and you've got a couple of uh, very, you know, you got a couple of Hall of Famers here who, it just seems like they've, uh, you know, they, they know their status and, and they know where they're headed and uh, where they've been and they've got the rings to show it and the, the playoff victories and, the you know, and everything else. And they're going to say, you know what, hey, uh, in essence, this is my team and it's going to run the way I want it to or I won't be here. And, uh, you know, I think at some point, you, you know, you got to make your decision. It's like, okay, is this the guy you want us to, you want to carry? And, you know, we'll see where it goes. Uh, you know, it, it's it's great intrigue and it's great to talk about. Um, it's something everybody can easily get over, um, you know, but again, it's just, it's never a good look uh, to undermine the coach in that way because uh, it can lead to uh, to others doing the same thing. We'll see what, uh, what Well, the other way around, it happened too at the Giant game. The Giant head coach had to spend all day Monday in the postgame interviews apologizing to the way he berated a player uh, who uh, uh, was called for, uh, uh, they, they looked with a fourth and one, and uh, they decided to go for the first down, and they had an illegal motion called, and, boy, he just took the – I think it was the offensive guard. I'm not sure. And, I think uh, it was. Yeah, and uh, he – thought he was uh, going to have a just, heart attack, Don. I mean, oh, you know, he's he a just big absolutely guy. killed him. And yeah. uh, he, he had to spend a lot of time in the early part of this week and the end of Sunday – and he said it was all his fault. He apologized. He he lost his he lost control of what he was doing, and that uh, he apologized to the players. He apologized to everybody. Uh, but it was again, as Roger just indicated uh, in the Roger case, it was all on right on, uh, you know, it was right on camera, and uh, well, everybody he, saw it. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> uh, you know talking about when we were going to talk about the Monday night game, the uh, number one, the Eagles uh, were not. They didn't come to play. That was number one. But on a follow-up, uh, Nick Sirianni was on the morning show on WIP this morning. And uh, tying in, Al Morgani, uh, we send out congratulations to him. He went into the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame Monday in, in Toronto. And uh, Angelo's off on Wednesday, so Al was uh, filling in. But Ross Tucker, who did the game uh, on uh, radio, on Monday night, national radio, uh, Westwood One, he uh, was, was talking about a, a couple of things. But one thing was the number of cameras that are there. I had no idea there are 60 cameras for Monday Night Football. That's number one. And how you could miss that call uh, when Gabbard went down with the face mask is unbelievable. And so the question to Sirianni was, do you uh, agree with uh, a lot of coaches 
that they you ought to be able to uh, call a um, a challenge on any play. You're going to have two challenges any play, and uh, like Bill Belichick, and he, his return was uh, Bill Belichick uh, has uh, X number of Super Bowl rings, titles. Uh, he's got seniority in the NFL. Uh, I'll leave that to him. So. I think that was a good way of not coming out and saying, yes, I certainly agree with it because, but uh, he maybe want to get a, a fine for saying something like that. But I thought it was interesting. And I don't, I'm sure you all saw that and probably everybody agrees because Al Morgani said it was a big t- uh, topic in Toronto of, uh, on uh, a Tuesday morning after that Monday night game. Well, Roger, I'll tell you, if we didn't see it, we must be blind because they must have showed it 20 times Yeah. <laughs> during the course of the, the, the delay. I mean, it was a long delay. They showed it. Then they tried to explain how they weren't going to make a challenge on the face mask. They were only going to do it on the penalty. I mean, the whole thing was a fiasco. Roy? It was. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, the problem there is the rule, guys. I mean, you got you can only challenge one thing, or what are you challenging? And, you know, you and uh, – you know, I think you've got. I think what you've got to do is the rules got to change. That if you're looking at a replay and you find a penalty, you got to call the penalty. You know, um, and, and let that be part of the the risk of uh, asking for the challenge. Uh, if you want to challenge the, uh, you know, the, uh, the the fumble, fine. But if you also uh, commit a penalty within, you know, in the process of, of creating that uh, takeaway, well, that has to be called. And and I think that should be part of the risk. Um, you know, I just think that that rule's got to change. I don't know that it will. I know that uh, I'm sure that uh, Rich McKay and the uh, uh, competition committee will take a look at it. They need to. Um, I'd like to see a change. I don't know that it will, though, because, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of coaches that, uh, you know, don't want that to happen. They're looking at one thing. But, you know, and, again, we're trying to, you know, keep the game going at a decent pace. But, um Still, I just think it's important that uh, that becomes part of the rule, that if you find a penalty while you're uh, reviewing a, uh, uh, a challenge, uh, you, you call the penalty. I also think, Roger, that it's late at time that they went over this and over this and over this. I, you know, it just seems to me, I mean, you had a, I, I, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I mean, it must have been three, four minutes before they finally made the decision of what they were going to do. Oh, at least. But the, the, the thing I didn't under, I, I did not know that there are 60 cameras being used on, uh, on uh, Monday Night Football. And, but then when you start thinking about it, they have what the pylon cameras, there's four of those at each end zone, there's eight. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal with all the technology that we have and you have guys or people in New York I think, what did I hear, 10 or 20, I think they said, Don, that are there looking at every uh, angle in that game. And why wouldn't somebody in New York uh, say, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on a call, why not New York say, hey, fellas, you blew a call, okay? You need to correct it on the spot right now. You know, whether it's in the book or not, I mean, it's it's the right thing for of uh, the uh, confidence in the game and the and the officials. Well, we've got the great Bill Berge coming on at 8 o'clock, and we'll, we'll go over that, uh, in fact, the whole game and, and all the penalties and everything else. But I want to get uh, 
to Roy a little bit about the National Hockey League and, and what's happening with the Lightning. Uh, also, what's happening with the Islanders, the Devils. Uh, a lot of very, very interesting games in the National Hockey League in the last week, Roy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the league's a little bit uh, upside down from where it was a year ago uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay uh, starting to play better, uh, won a couple of games here and starting to play a lot better than they have um, getting back into it. But, boy, the Bruins are just uh, on fire. The Devils are on fire. Um, and, and it's really it's interesting. Islanders are playing better. Uh, so we're starting to see some uh, some of these teams that have struggled over the last couple of years and have, you know, have been patiently building uh, you know building their talent base a little bit. Uh, New Jersey's the best example. Um, uh, it's starting to come to fruition for them, and you know even teams like Buffalo and Ottawa are starting to, you know, every once in a while they're 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 not easy uh, they're not easy pickings right now. You know, not everybody's just they're not going to just give up two points each night. Uh, you're going to get a tough game from them, and um, I think it's great for the league. Obviously, the Flyers are are another great example of a team that has uh, obviously uh, found its way a little bit here. Uh, they've had a tough schedule the last. Uh, uh, the last week and a half here, two weeks, just uh, not necessarily with with uh, the opponents, uh, but but primarily just with the you know a couple of back to backs and a couple of day games back to back. But uh, they're they're starting to play much better as well. So uh, NHL, um, you know, usually it, you get into November and you can kind of you know almost sleepwalk through the league for a little bit. But uh, they're producing some pretty darn good games, that's for sure. Roger. Yeah, the uh, the Flyers uh, have lost uh, what four straight, and uh, I know that uh, John Tortorella uh, the other night was really uh, disgusted with the play of the team, and so the, the you know the Lightning have, have turned it around, and and uh, some of the other teams uh, are really looking good, but you know it's early in the season, but uh, I just hope that uh, in his case that he can get them. Uh, turned around and, and playing like they did at the beginning of the season. Well, the difference in Philadelphia right now is that, uh, you know, the goaltender, Corey Hart, was was, was carrying. And yeah. and John Tortorella was, you know, sending up a couple of flares and a couple of signals saying, hey, this can't go on. We've got to start playing better in front of him. And they were getting it a little bit just before this um, this uh, this stretch of losses came and then they kind of fell back a little bit. And, uh, you know, so it's just a sign that they're not quite there yet. Um, still some work to do. But, uh, you know, the problem is, is you just you can't ask the goaltender to, to carry every night. Uh, you no. got to go out and, uh, and carry the team for him once in a while. And uh, Tortorella is really pushing for that and asking for that and asking for a little bit more out of some guys. And uh, I, I don't think they've gotten it. Uh, again, they, they played a little bit, you know, a little bit better competition the last couple of games. So, you know that's part of it, but um, still, I, I think the opportunity is there for this team to uh, to continue to get better. And um, you know, look, little slumps like this are important. Um, what do you make of it? What do you do to get out of it? Um, and and can you build off of it and, and somehow prove that to be, you know, a, a foundation? It's kind of like, you know, a stock. Do you find a you know Do you find a new uh, a new low and then, you know, go higher from there. That, that's what you want to do. And, and by a new low, I don't mean a, a low low. I mean, you know, can you find another place to bounce? And, uh, and, and this, could be the, this could be that opportunity for them. Um, getting a day off here, a little chance to breathe. So let's see what happens in the next couple. I, I, won't, I won't be surprised if they bounce back and play a little bit better. Well, very interesting to see uh, in the Atlantic especially because Boston is really the Bruins have gotten off to a, a terrific start. I mean, uh, 
they've won more games than any, anybody playing right now. Four, I think they won 14. I don't have the paper in front of me, but I believe they've won 14 games, which is yeah. really something. But I, one of the teams that's intriguing to me is Vegas. Uh, we don't get to see them, or at least I don't, yeah. let me put it that way. I don't get a chance to see them, but because they play too late for me to stay up. But, uh, you know, they they had a great start when they first had the expansion. They dropped back a little bit last year, had a little uh, discomfort in their schedule and the way they played. But, boy, they've come out of the gate again, Roy, uh, in 22 in pretty good, fa- pretty good shape. Yeah, and what's amazing about that is, is the fact that they're doing it without what they expected to be their top two goaltenders. So, uh, you know, they gave, famously gave up uh, Marc-Andre Fleury a year ago, uh, let him go. Uh, they were leaning on Robin uh, Robin Lair, and, and, and now he's hurt. So they're doing it without the goaltending tandem that they expected. Um, but the thing is, is uh, you know, look, that, that, that team has got some real firepower, and, cool. uh, and they play a really tough, heavy game. And they're really – they are very hard to play against. And uh, I think they've just gone back and found that game again. Um, you know, they've, they've got some people healthy, Mark Stone in particular, uh, that, uh, that, were, that were missing a year ago. Jack Eichel. Is, the, the whole the, the Jack Eichel trade is really, really working out well for him. Look, they gave up, you know, good players in Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs to get him, but um, Jack Eichel has been just everything that they could have hoped for. And, uh, and, the, and the defense corps has gotten stronger, and, uh, and, and they're playing just darn good hockey. And, and look, you can't say that the – uh, part of it is a little bit maybe the, the Western Division, but or conference. But at the end of the day, um, I, I think the weaker teams are in that conference. Uh, talking about Anaheim, Arizona, uh, a couple others, but but still, um, they're they're not bad. You know, they're not horrible teams. They're going to give you a decent game. Arizona will do that. Anaheim will do that. Uh, but the Kings are playing better. Sharks aren't you know much, but but still, you take advantage of that, and they're playing really well. The real test for uh, Vegas, see what they look like when they're playing some of those Eastern Conference teams. But so far, they look really good, uh, you know, through through the uh, middle of November here, guys. All right. Thank you very much again for your first half hour. As always, talking about the Bucks, talking about the Lightning, talking about the Eagles. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we we got the, the premier former Eagle on the line with us tonight. We haven't had a ball for so long now. Bill Berge is going to join us right now. And, Roy, thank you very much, Bill Berge. Welcome week, to the Roy. show again. First of all, before we talk about football or anything else, how are you feeling and what's an update? I'm doing real good. Everything is uh, fine. I'm happy and healthy and wise and not quite wealthy, though. <laughs> I, I was going to say wealthy, though, but wise. I don't know about that. <laughs> how are you guys doing? That's the uh, big question. We're hanging in uh, there. <laughs> Everything is terrific. Everything is terrific. And your observation, we got a number of questions that came up the first half hour that I know you'll have the answer to uh, in the Philadelphia Eagle game on, on Monday night against Washington. Well, first of all, our defense didn't play very well. Uh, they uh, allowed Washington to just move them right up and down the darn field. And when uh, – we scored the first touchdown on the turnover. I thought it was going to be a 45 to nothing type of a game. Uh, <laughs> but Washington does have, they do have some good players. And uh, I know that there's about 75,000 people in the stands that were very, very disappointed. And uh, the thing that gets me is we were 8-0. 
and now we're eight and one, and everybody thinks that we're uh, going to the poorhouse. But we're still, we still have the best record in uh, pro football, along with uh, Minnesota. And uh, I think we're still going to be there at the end of the year. We have Indianapolis this week, and uh, I think they'll, uh, I think they'll correct their mistakes. Roger. Bill, the one of the missing links, uh, and you were a great defensive player, uh, was Jordan Davis uh, being out on IR because I think his uh, presence in that game, the way he stops the run, would really have made a difference in that game. But they did have trouble. The Eagles did uh, with at uh, Houston, and uh, they're coming up against a very a team with a very good runner. And um, you know what the, the as the the NFL's known for, it's a copycat league. Do, yeah. you, do you expect uh, Indianapolis to do the same? And do you Absolutely. agree with me about about uh, Jordan Davis? Absolutely. They're they're going to look at the film and they're going to study it and they're going to probably attack uh, the Eagles uh, the same way. But you know something, guys? Uh, we used to have this saying with Marion Campbell, our defensive coordinator. And he always stressed this. He would say, remember, guys, it all starts up front, meaning the defensive line, if they do their job, then the linebackers can do their job, and then the defensive backs can do their job. But it all starts up front. In the trenches. In Bill, the we trenches. talked the first half hour a little bit at length uh, over that controversial play with the Face mask was involved, and the penalty was called on the interception. It was horrible. It was horrible. I, 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 and none of us agreed with the fact that you can't challenge that. I mean, I don't. I've never, I've never seen that before. No, you can't challenge it. But I'll tell you what, that was a big uh, part of the game right there. There was three real bad calls from the officials, and uh, I thought the one on Brandon Graham. Uh, towards the end of the game where the quarterback took a knee and Brandon just went in and just kind of touched him a little bit and they gave him a 15-yard penalty. I just thought that was excessive, too. You know, know, I'll I'll give the quarterback credit. I mean, he obviously did it on purpose, thinking that the uh, Eagles were going to be aggressive enough to come in and, and actually touch him. I guess if you slide or kneel or whatever, I guess they're not really supposed to do anything but put a hand on you to say you're down. But That's right. It's uh, got to be hands I, I off. I agree with you. It's a crazy call. It, it yeah. really was. It really was. And uh, I think that had a lot to do with the game, too. But uh, when Goddard was uh, pulled down by the face mask, that's really what made him fumble the ball. And, yeah. uh, the, uh, you know, they've got five officials out there. And you t- mean to tell me there's not one official that could have seen that play for crying out loud? And uh, that was probably the biggest turnaround of the uh, entire game. Roger? Well, you know, Bill, uh, you did the uh, color with Merle for many years on WIP. I was with morning. him last night, as a matter of fact, doing a radio oh, show. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, this morning on, you know, Angelo's off on uh, Wednesdays. And, uh, but Ross Tucker was in and he did the game on national radio. I had no idea that on that Monday night game, they have 60 cameras 
on that game. And my, that's the, my point. If you've got 60 cameras and you've got a whole team in New York watching everything, wouldn't it make sense to say, hey, fellas, uh, you just blew a call and you got to get that corrected and make the correction even after, after the play? I mean, I think it, it says well, a lot about the credibility of the game. Yeah, well, it's just not in the rules, and that's the only thing I can say about that. But uh, yeah, you're right. the yeah. officials should have been fined for something like that. That is just disgusting. Yeah, oh, so, no the doubt. interesting thing about uh, forget whether right or wrong, it just is taking them so long. We talked about it in the first half hour of the show. Between the time they make the call, whatever it may be, and when they go to the replay, I mean, I estimated, you know, three, four minutes, but it had to be at least three or four minutes. You mean to tell me you can't see that in 30 seconds and say this is what, regardless of whether we made the wrong call or what we did, this is the way it is. Get the game going. I don't understand that. Back when I played from uh, 69 to 82, they didn't have uh, any instant replay at all. And uh, I can remember coming in, especially with Paul Brown, he would list everything that the officials would miss. But these guys, they ought to be doing their homework and studying the game, and they ought to be on top of things, and they just certainly uh, are not. Well, and the thing is now, Bill, the uh, they even have uh, officials uh, that are full-time employees. You know, that was the big issue a couple of years ago. That's and right. What they did was, didn't they? they? They hired like six or eight of the referees that are full, full time. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Tommy Bell, who was uh, a real great uh, official back when I played. He would, uh, he would uh, call a game on Sunday. And then he was a lawyer, and I think it was Louisville or Nashville. He went back uh, to do his uh, number one job. And uh, it's really funny how the game has changed around so much. Uh, Ed Ed Shockley was also an attorney in in Phoenix. And then you had athletic directors at universities that were. Well, I, I think the officials. They ought to be devoted 100% to the game. <clears throat> they ought to be accountable for the calls that they uh, miss. And, uh, I, I mean, somebody ought to be fined. And everybody's talking about that here in uh, Philadelphia uh, today about how bad that call had really hurt us. But that's the way the game goes, that's and the, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I was yeah, going to say, right. it's over with. you got to put that in yesterday's book. you got to look ahead to next week. You can't worry about what happened last week. Uh, but, again, I, I agree with and, you. It could, and, and, and not I will only was tell a you, bad call. It just took forever to do it. Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing. Uh, nobody's going to go 17-0. It's only been done one time, an undefeated season. That was uh, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I think the pressure is going to be off the Eagles a little bit now because, you know, they win that game and they're nine and zero, and then if they go to Indianapolis, win that one, they're ten and zero, and it just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. And I remember the year that we went to the Super Bowl in 1980-81. <laughs> At one time, we were eight and one, 
and I thought that we were hot as can be. And uh, when we were eight and one, we were playing. Then we were playing the New Orleans Saints, and I think we were favored by like ten or twelve points. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, the New Orleans Saints—they got ahead of us fourteen to nothing, real, real quick, within the first three or four minutes. And everybody was fighting with everybody, and it was just horrible. And uh, once again, our uh, defensive coordinator, Marion Campbell, got us all together. And he said, what is happening out there? And Dennis Bigfoot Harrison dropped a dime on all of us. He says, I'll tell you what's happening, Coach. Everybody's fighting with everybody. And we just couldn't handle losing in the least. And that's when he said, okay. What do you guys want to do? And somebody would say, we want to do this, and somebody would say, we ought to do that. Well, fine, let's do it, and let's go on out there. And we ended up beating them 38-14 to 14 after we were behind 14 to nothing. But we were on a bad, bad course. And uh, anyhow, so what I'm trying to say is maybe losing one in the middle of the season like this is uh, good for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I, I don't think they're going to get used to it, though. Bill Berge, our special guest this half hour, Hall of Famer, and, of course, one of the great Eagles of all time. And, Bill, uh, there was so much controversy over the quarterback position at the end of last year, all during the offseason. Ray Dittinger, the Hall of Fame writer, was almost a couple of weeks ago, and he said everybody wanted them to trade those draft choices and get another quarterback and do this and do that. What do you think that think about their quarterback right now? I think we got a great quarterback. The thing of it is he was benched at the University of Alabama. He decided to to, to go to uh, Oklahoma, and he, I think, has got a great chance to be the most valuable player in the league this year. Yeah. Jalen Hurts is just an unbelievable player, and he's a guy that studies, works real hard, <laughs> and he is a, a team captain. And I think the guys really look up to him and respect him. Roger? Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Bill. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it looked like it was going to be uh, Carson Wentz going against him or going against the Eagles. Deep yeah, well, really he was good. sacked nine times by the Eagles the first time. I don't think Carson Wentz wanted to see the Eagles in uh, that game. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. You're exactly right. But, you know, I wanted to get back to what you were talking about, that New Orleans game. And I remember that. Uh, Archie Manning was the quarterback then for New Orleans, that's, wasn't that's he? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I remember uh, that so vividly. Uh, it was the 1980 season, and uh, it was just un- unbelievable. I mean, that uh, the way the, the whole team came back, uh, after being down, and I didn't know about the fighting. You know, maybe yeah. you did, Don. You were close to it too back then. Yeah, but uh, Archie Archie Manning, uh, <laughs> I played in a couple of Pro Bowls uh, with him. He was never on a winning team after the season was over, and he was a guy that I had so much respect for. But he just never had the guys around him to help him uh, win these games. But uh, I saw him one time in a game in Philadelphia. He was rolling out to the right. He couldn't stop to to release the ball, so he threw it underhand. 
about 40 yards, and he completed the pass. The greatest play I think I've ever seen in the NFL. Well, well Phil, I'll tell you, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's been oh, quite great. some time, thank but you. first of all, I want to go back and just be so happy that the uh, your physical condition has been so good. I hope you'll come with us a little bit later on in the season and do what you did tonight. Just give us a little information that's uh, top drawer. Okay, we'll do it, guys. Thank you we very much you, for having me. We love Take you. Take care, Thanks, my boy. Okay. Really appreciate it. Okay. Well, now we got another another Hall of Famer in another another category. Dan Baker is going to be on with us right now. Dan had been on with us for quite some time. Just completed his 50th season behind the PA microphone at the, the stadium, both Veterans Stadium and, uh, of course, uh, Citizens Bank Park. 50 years. Uh, it was a little bit of a struggle for you this year, Dan, but congratulations once again. I love that networks touched on it during the playoffs. And congratulating you and, and your tenure, but 50 years is a long, long time. Well, thank you, Don. It's a real privilege. Um, to the best of my knowledge, uh, there have only been three Major League Baseball public address announcers who have performed for 50 years or more. Uh, the other two, Pat Piper of the Chicago Cubs, He's the uh, all-time leader in longevity for Major League Baseball PA announcers. Pat Piper announced at Wrigley Field from 1916 through 1974, a total of 59 years. And the only other PA announcer to uh, perform for 50 years or more, the great Bob Shepard, voice of Yankee Stadium, from 1951 through 2007, a total of 57 years, and then uh, I'm third, as far as I know. You're a pretty select company, my boy. <laughs> oh, it's an, well, it's an honor to be with that select group. And uh, right. uh, I, I, I've been, you know, I've been so fortunate, uh, uh, really, uh you know, I've, I've missed uh, very few games. I missed no games in 2021. And uh, this year, uh, I missed a couple of games. I missed one game from uh, for COVID-19 protocol. Uh, I had tested positive, uh, you know, for the coronavirus, even though I was asymptomatic. And I was required, uh, you know, to... Uh, um, not be around anybody for five days. And uh, one of the days happened to be that of a Phillies home game. And then uh, I had another surgery uh, during the season, and, uh, and I missed six games. That, but that's all. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, I was able to perform, uh, you know, the whole season except for those seven games. And if I do say so myself, performed at a very high level. No question about that. Roger? Well, Dan, I, I'll tell you a couple of things. I've, I've told you this, uh, and I've said it uh, many times. I was when they won the Phillies won the uh, pennant this year. I got to tell you, the happiest uh, I was happiest most for you. What a oh, what a treat you. and what an honor to be able to do the World Series in your 50th anniversary year. And yeah. I was uh, sitting at lunch with a friend of mine who's a great t- a teacher and a coach at the middle school where I'm at, where I uh, sub a lot. 
and we were talking, and I told him about that survey where you have announced 20% of all Major League Baseball players in history's names. And I think that is an unbelievable accomplishment and, and uh, a history-making uh, point in, in baseball history. Well, thank you. And, of course, it's, you know, it's a function of uh, announcing for, you know, that length of time. 50 years, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, but, uh, you know, there's this historian named Drew Davis out of uh, Wilmington, Delaware, a real nice guy. And uh, Drew has done some research on my baseball public address announcing career with the Phillies. And uh, it's funny, he's come up with a whole bunch of stats that I, I don't even know about. You know, like uh, uh, I've announced uh, something like 74 Hall of Famers. Uh, I think he knows, I, I think he's said that I've announced like uh, 300,000 batters, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, and uh, – you know, I don't, I don't even think of those numbers or in those terms. And, uh, you know, when he brings those numbers up, it, it, it kind of makes you uh, think for a moment. Astonishing. I mean, when you think about it no, that way and you break it down, right, Don? No, no question. And I think one of the things I'd like to chat with you about, because you talked about it when you went in the Pioneers Hall of Fame and we went at the same night, and yeah. uh, you talked about your background and how your your parents uh, were so concerned about articulation. And I think if anybody, of course, listening around the country has not been to Citizens Bank Park or whatever and had the opportunity to see you perform, your articulation has always been so spectacular. And you told the story about how you really went through the schools and your parents and so forth. But add to that, go a little bit about on your background, but go add to that, what's the toughest name or set of names you ever had to, you had, you ever had to announce? Don Henderson. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That, that'd be the easiest thing in the world. Frank <laughs> Carroll. <laughs> Roger Hensler. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, listen, Don, you have been a great broadcaster for many, many years, and you know the preparation that it requires to do a good job. And uh, anybody that's worth their weight and salt uh, and who takes pride in the work is going to do the necessary homework. So, that you're accurate and uh, correct, uh, you know, in your announcements and pronouncing names. And, um, and as you said uh, in introducing me, uh, I mean, I learned so much from my parents and, uh, you know, just leaving the home and going in to school, I was very well equipped uh, to speak uh, the language well, uh, grammatically correct, uh, pronouncing every syllable in a word. You know, those things sound so basic. Um, but uh, not everybody does it. And, and 
you know, some people, uh, you know, don't pronounce every syllable of a word. Sometimes they run the syllables, uh, multiple syllables of a word into each other, and it's, you know, doesn't quite have the clarity uh, that it should. And, uh, and, you know, you guys all had great uh, educations and parenting and, so, I mean, it, uh, um, you know, a lot of us in this business, I think, have been blessed with that kind of home training. And then, of course, it's embellished with what we learn in school. And then uh, I had a lot of uh, announcers uh, who mentored me, like uh, Jay Randolph uh, in St. Louis and, you know, Harry Callis here in Philadelphia. You know, we learned uh, – all of us with the, you know, growing up with Bill Campbell and by some and Gene Kelly and uh, gosh, I admired Dave Zinkoff so much, the voice of the Philadelphia Warriors and the Harlem Globetrotters and the 76ers. I thought he was so entertaining. Uh, I loved Matt Lucas Sr., my predecessor as the PA announcer for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, uh, you know, I, I try to pay close attention when these – and as I, I think you guys know, uh, long before I was actually announcing, uh, I was doing statistics and spotting for many of the visiting NFL play-by-play announcers uh, when uh, they were playing in Philadelphia at Franklin Field or Veterans Stadium and uh, just sitting next to them was almost like the equivalent of a getting a master's degree of listening to uh, how they spoke and how they prepared. And uh, I tried to pay close attention in hopes that, you know, I would have an opportunity such as that someday. And I, and I think that was very, very helpful. Roger. Well, you know, also uh, you were a teacher Okay, uh, out of yes. uh, Glassboro State, now Rowan, and then you got your master's in communications at Temple. But I yes. can remember being at the Spectrum when I had the Naval Reserve duty. Uh, you invited me over, and I went over at lunchtime to watch you, and you were uh, coaching the great Gene Banks that went on to yes. Duke when he was in elementary school. So, uh, look, yeah. at, there's another hero that you impacted. Uh, again, I, I've been so lucky, and, and uh, as, as I submit, you gentlemen have as well. You know, when you think of uh, some of the people that over the years, uh, some of the great athletes uh, in multiple sports, and, uh, you know, growing up in Philadelphia was just a, a treasure, you know, with the, uh, the love of sports that those of us grew up in this area have. And what a privilege to see uh, the Phillies. Gosh, we used to have the A's, you know, until yeah. 1955, uh, uh, 54 was there last year in Philadelphia. But, my gosh, you know, the Eagles, the, the Warriors, later the Sixers, uh, my heavens, the, the Flyers before them, the Ramblers, uh you know, the big five, LaSalle, Penn, St. Joseph's, Temple, Villanova. Drexel's had a very good program for many, many years. Division twos, division threes. You know, Herb McGee at 
Philadelphia Tech Zion and later Philadelphia University and now it's greatest foul shooter of all time. Oh man. Yeah. 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 And uh well, well you know over eleven hundred victories as a head coach, my goodness. Um, absolutely amazing, and the uh, I know uh, talked to Don and and Frank. Uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and I was, I had told you that uh, on a Braves game uh, that was on Bally uh, here, um, they showed when the Braves and the Phillies were playing late in the season, they showed you uh, up in the booth, and Chip Carey uh, was just and I think. Uh, uh, Frenchie was doing the uh, uh, color with him. Jeff Francoeur. Uh, Jeff mm-hmm. Francoeur, yeah. And they were talking about you and the 50 years and uh, the respect they uh, have for you. And it was amazing when the when the World Series started, I have all these Braves fans, st- teachers and students that I see that I really think the world of, and uh, a couple of them, women, came over to me, and uh, they were watching the game, and they said that we heard your friend announce the players last night at the World Series. So, Dan, you are Atlanta renowned here, too. Well, you know, Roger, uh, uh, I used to keep statistics and spot for the great Skip Carey. Uh, yes. And uh, uh, I never actually, I don't think I ever worked with Harry Carey, uh, but I did work with, uh, you know, out of St. Louis, Jack Buck and Mike Shannon and Jay Randolph and uh, gosh, Ricky Horton later and uh, Bob Starr, Ray Geraci with the St. Louis football Cardinals. Um, so, um Again, uh, what a blessing to be able to work with people of that magnitude and learn from them. Well, Dan, when you talk about that, uh, a couple of things come to mind. One, whenever I think of Harry Callis, I think of Mickey Morandini. Morandini. <laughs> he, he, he loved, he loved to use that. He loved that name. And of yeah. course, and when, when anybody ever asks me about Dan Baker, they talk about. Center fielder. You have those little remembrances of things that happened as years go by. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, uh, it, it's just great. Well, you know, uh, Roger mentions Atlanta and uh, what a great honor uh, to have announced. Hank Aaron and Willie mm-hmm. Mays and Roberto yeah. Clemente. Let's uh, get better than that. No. Uh, my gosh. Uh, and then uh, I've done a couple of old-timers games uh, at the Vet and uh, Mickey Mantle, Stan Musial. Uh, you know, uh, that's really what Robin Roberts. That was my hero growing up. Mine um, too. The, the Whiz Kids, you know, Robin Roberts, Richie Ashburn, and uh, the 1950 National League pennant winners. Right. They lost four. They were swept by the Yankees uh, in the midst of, I think, the Yankees winning five straight World Series. 
and uh, you know, great Yankee team. Joe DiMaggio was on that. Um, and of course, uh, Joe uh, DiMaggio, Jim Gunn had never started a game in 1950 until the, until the World Series. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and, and yeah. of course, he pitched eight innings. They wound up losing in four straight. But uh, I can remember that uh, Joe D hit one in the tenth inning uh, up in the oh. upper deck at at Shy Park, and uh, oh, Robin Roberts in Game Two. Yep, you know, Robin was- Roberts in Game Two. I was sitting behind home plate, and uh, it was uh, uh, unbelievable. That was it was a great series, and yet the Phillies lost, uh, you know, all four games as you indicated. Uh, but uh, it was a it was a fun group to watch. Uh, they were shorthanded, obviously, because of Kurt Simmons not being allowed to uh, come out of the service after being in for like 18 days. They made him uh, remain in the service and wouldn't let him come out and pitch in the World Series, which obviously wouldn't happen today. But uh, I'll tell you, now, how, how many games did you actually do it at Connie Mack Stadium or, or Shy Park? Did you, well, I never announced a game at uh, the Connie Mack Stadium slash Shy Park. Um, right. Uh, my first year was uh, as, as the Phillies PA announcer was their second year at Philadelphia Veterans Stadium. The Phillies you first year Wolf, at right? the Vet was not. Art Wolf was the PA announcer in 1971, and then um, the Phillies uh, contemplated making a change in PA announcers uh, following their first year at the Vet. And they interviewed myself and a couple of others, uh, and they weren't 100% committed to making that change, uh, but they wanted to talk to a few people and see if there might be someone among them uh, that, you know, they would consider as uh, the next PA announcer. And luckily for me, uh, in fact, uh, Bill Giles was just kind enough to take Kathy and me to dinner um, last Friday night, along with uh, uh, three other couples and uh, out on the main line. And uh, Bill is 88 years old, and what a great, great baseball man he is. And, uh, you know, what an an opportunity that he gave me. And I'll never forget when he interviewed me in November of 71, at, at fortunately, at the end of the interview, he told me uh, that he's probably going to make the change. And he said, I haven't had the chance to tell Art yet. So uh, out of respect to him, uh, you know, I don't want you to say anything yet until I've had a chance to speak with him. Right. And, and before uh, that was Matty's father, correct? Uh, Matt Gukas Sr., uh was my predecessor with the Philadelphia Eagles. And Matt uh, started doing the PA for Eagles games at Shad Park, Connie Mack Stadium, and then right. at Franklin Field, and then at the Vet. And I believe that Matt was the Eagles PA announcer from 1953 when, when they were still at uh, Shad Park. And uh, through uh, 1984, my first year as PA announcer for the Eagles was 1985. And uh, so, uh, geez, I grew up uh, 
admiring Matt Dukas, tackled by Rosovic and Tom. Uh, you know, I'll never forget it, Franklin Field. Uh, you know, Mel Tom and Tim Rosovic. And uh, uh, I admired him so much. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, I... I told I, I called him on the phone when when the uh, Eagles uh, told me that Matt was retiring. Um, I I had told them along the way. I said, "Look, I'm certainly not advocating a change, but if you ever do think about a change, uh, you know, I hope you would consider me." Uh, and then when. Uh, the Eagles did offer me the opportunity. I asked about Matt, and uh, I said, could you give me a, a day? And um, I said, I, I think I, I would be honored. And uh, they said, of course. And uh, I I called Matt Dukas Jr., Matty, former St. Joseph's All-American, and a right. member of the 66-67 Philadelphia 76ers. He and I brought kids to the 76ers for uh, quite a number of years after he retired. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I I told Maddie that the Eagles had offered me the PA job. I said, Maddie, I just want you to know. Uh, and by the way, the Eagles uh, told, told me in, in, in their – discussion and and their kindness in, in offering me this opportunity uh they said well dan you know whether you take it or not you know uh, matt's retiring so it's not you know your decision is not going to change that and uh you know i was a part of me that was thinking gosh uh i hope i'm not playing a part in matt's departure right and, uh, and uh, that, that's what I told uh, Matt Gukas Jr. when I spoke with him. If you ever have Matty on, you know, he'll confirm that. Uh, and uh, I admired Matty. I admired his dad. And uh, so uh, Matt, uh, Matty told me that they had already uh, spoken with his father and said they were going to make a change. And... Uh, uh, so he said he knows about it, and he said it, it, Dad's taken it kind of hard, and uh, so uh, you know I, I said, do you think it'd be appropriate for me to call your father? He said, you know, Dan, um, I don't think right away would be good uh, because it, you know it, it, it's a little bit difficult for him. He said, but if you you know maybe you could write him a letter. And, uh, and and handle it that way. And I said, oh, oh, thanks, Matt. And uh, I did. I, I wrote him a letter and told him, told him how much I admired him, and I would try to follow in the great tradition of Eagles PA announcing that he established. And uh, about a month later, Matt Lucas Sr. called me. To Dan? And yes, because I, I knew that wonderful, wonderful voice right, right. away. Matt he Dukas said, on sports. Yeah, it's Matt. And uh, I said, hi, Matt, how are you? And uh, he said, thank you for the beautiful letter that you wrote me. And uh, uh, he said, I 
uh, when I learned that, you know, you were uh, going to be doing the PA, I was very happy for you. And, uh, you know, I certainly wish you the best of luck. And uh, He was you know, a he class was always, guy. He was really oh. a class act and uh, a very, very, very nice guy. And I'll tell you, young Matty took after him. Uh, we worked together. Oh. Of course, he came into the league, uh, of course, at St. Joe's all those years, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, then came into the league. It was uh, a, a great partner to have as a, as a color analyst. We had a, we had a great run. And uh, just a great guy. And Dan, I want to thank you so much for this segment. Congratulations again on 50 years. Uh, thank you, Dan. You're just getting started, my boy. You mentioned yeah. uh, Bill Giles at 88. Well, he and I are exactly the same age. You're about 20 years younger than we are, so you've got a long way to go. Listen, Don and Frank and Roger, uh, Bob Shepard was 97 when he retired as the Yankees PA announcer. So I'm just a kid at 76. Yeah, you got a that baby. right. I right told then. you, 20 more years. You're just getting started. <laughs> hey, John, Johnny Gilbert, the announcer on Jeopardy, is 97 or 98 and still oh doing Jeopardy. And what I remember before you go when you mentioned, you know, November of 71, a very uh, historical uh, time when you were interviewed, I remember the summer of 1971 with you and the Hell Drivers yes. in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Yes. <laughs> when when my late wife came back from uh, You guys are too young. You don't remember Joey Chitwood <laughs> and the Hell Drivers. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, uh, Joey Chitwood was one of Buddy's partners, and Buddy was That's an right. old mentor of mine. You guys, uh, you guys will catch up to me one of these days. That's it. The, the hey, you, you went to Langhorne. You saw Joey Chitwood all the time. He had, he jumped those cars and he did he did everything in the world. He was the second <laughs> hell driver. I forget who the, there was one before him that actually started the team, but I can't remember his name. So I, I'll pass on that one. But Dan, once again, thank you so very very much. Love you, Dan. Have a great God Thanksgiving with the family. Have a great Christmas if I don't see you before then, and. Uh, Congratulations again on your uh, entry into the Pioneer Hall of Fame and your 50 years behind the mic. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Go Phillies. Go, Go Phillies, em. Dan. Love you. Thank you. Love you, too. Give give uh, Rio a, a kiss. Loved hearing him this afternoon. He's the heir. <laughs> He's going to be an announcer. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Mike Zimzak's on the line right now. And, uh, we're going to talk a little uh, a little soccer first. Uh, we'll talk about that Red or that Redskins, that Washington game on Monday night against the Eagles. But uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about Qatar and uh, what's going to happen uh, with the soccer next week as they get underway. Uh, and, but I want to I want to bring Roger in first because he told me something last night that I, I was I got all the negative things about it that I think this is the worst thing in the world that ever happened. But Roger, you you gave me an an additional story, which I didn't know. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, uh, I I saw the uh, bulletin yesterday that comes in on uh, winds uh, in New York, uh, and uh, they're going to build a a mammoth soccer. uh, No, no, uh, no, no, not mammoth. It's going to be in the Queens, 25,000. Well, no, no, I mean the whole area. It's going to be a big area there. 
Oh, yeah, uh, big, big boom for him, yeah. Yeah, to City Field. And uh, you probably know all about it, Mike. The team's going to play out there. I thought that they might uh, make it into a football stadium, and I said to Don, maybe the Jets will move back to Queens. But uh, it's going to be strictly soccer. I guess in, in similar in size to the uh, Union Station, in, uh, the Union uh, uh, Stadium in, in Chester. Is that right? Well, okay, first and foremost, I didn't do this last week, but Don, Roger, and Frank, I want to wish all of y'all and everybody else who's listening a happy belated Veterans Day. Thank you all for your Same service. Same to you, brother. Same to you. Go to it. Uh, we're talking about the uh, NYCFC Stadium that will finally, 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 after all of these years, be built out by City Field. Um Roger, I think it's going to be a little bit bigger than the Union Stadium. Uh, my understanding is their capacity is going to be closer to 21, 22,000, where the Union is about 18,700. Uh, okay. But uh, you know what? This is something that's long been rumored. Uh, and NYCFC needs a permanent home, someplace where they can be guaranteed that they're going to be able to play their games. During the playoffs, uh, they were left searching for a stadium because all of their playoff matches conflicted with the Yankees, and they are currently tenants of Yankee Stadium. Correct. So were they going to play in Harrison? Were they going to play in Yankee Stadium? For all we know, they could have ended up playing playoff games in Hartford, Connecticut. So getting this team a permanent stadium in Queens and even getting a second soccer-specific stadium in the New York City area, is I'm all for it. Uh, I know that as soon as this thing is built, we'll see some USA games out there, and it will become a hub. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's a very good positive for uh, NYTFC to be able to get there, get a home, get a stadium. And, you know, that, that part of Queens, out by Arthur Ashe and City Field, they actually do have the area of the parking to facilitate a soccer stadium. And it'll turn into something akin to – you know, Navy Yard area down here in D.C. where you had the National Stadium and Audi Field, um, sort of the stadium area in, Philadelphia, in South Philadelphia or Oregon where you have um, the Link Citizens and the Wells Fargo Center. So I think it's a good thing, and I'm happy that they're finally going to get this built. Great, great. Well, Roger, wasn't it wasn't it you that told me yesterday? It was the day before about uh, the World Games and the, the emblem they were going to change on the uniforms. Wasn't that you that told me that story? No, no, I, I didn't. guess not. Uh, well, well, let me let me, go, let me go to to Mike. What is the story about the emblem that they're going to change on the uniforms of the United States team? Uh, I'm not going to lie. That's not one that has registered on mine. Um, I know that there are any number of 
subtle and very overt protests that are going on uh, in response to the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, one of the most, uh, I guess you could say, overt ones will be the team, the Danish team. They have chosen to wear very monochromatic shirts and the manufacturer Hummel said they don't want to put their name out there. They don't want to put the Danish thing out there. So basically, you know, it'll look like when you you see them play that they're playing in a red, white, or black shirt. You won't be able to see the manufacturer's mark, the club crest, anything other than the uh, numbers and the name on the back. Right. Well, Phil, Phil Mushnick wrote a tremendous piece in the New York Post on Sunday, uh, you know, about the World Games and uh, World Cup and uh, Qatar and all the problems. Uh, and, and I just can't imagine, uh, and you know better than I, how they selected Qatar for, for, from all accounts. There's always a big payoff, and uh, they got paid off to, to have the games in Qatar. Number one, they couldn't have them at the normal time because it's so hot there, 150, 120 degrees. They had to move it to, you know, the fall, uh, which which uh, was not a normal case. They had to build four stadiums. They brought any number of people from almost non-educated and, and, and not productive countries in, in building these four stadiums. 700 died. Because of the heat, seven hundred died in Qatar wow. building these building these four stadiums for the World Cup, and uh, that's just two of the major problems. And, and somebody told me, and, and I, I don't want to say it's actual fact. I'll throw it out there, but they tell me they're going to take the flag off the American uniforms and they're going to put the uh, uh, I don't know what do you call it, the color the flag colors of. Uh, uh, homosexuals, uh, transvestites, and that, that that emblem is going to be on the uniforms rather than the flag. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that, somebody called told me that was definitely the case yesterday. They were going to change the logos. You know anything about that? I don't think they can do that. Um, I know, for example, okay, so how, no matter how you feel about LGBTQ pl- uh, issues, uh, one of the things that they have said is, you know, if you are uh, queer identifying, just well, that's another thing. In Qatar, they they kill people. You know, yeah. And so, I mean, like we're that. we're taking we're taking the World Games over there. To I mean, how can you take it to a place like this? Well, uh, I can tell you, one point five million dollars per. Uh, to, to, to do that, and if you watch the uh, E60 report, they said the each member of the executive committee got about 1.5 million dollars in cash for their vote. That was how it ended up there. Mm. Uh, as far mm. as changing the flag logos out, um, you can't really do that. That's not something that under FIFA uniform regulations is allowed. Uh, you will see. But how about 700 instance, people dying building these stadiums? I mean, I, 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 how could that possibly happen? 700, 700 uh, uh, don't, is a low estimate. 
Um, really? 700 is probably yeah, 700 very, got, very that, conservative. Much has got the whole thing on the paper here for last Sunday of all these things that yeah. they've done that are incredible. I mean, incredible. I and we're supporting real it. Number, I think the How real can we support something like this? Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I think the real number is closer to 10,000. 10,000 people. Yeah. Wow. I mean, when you look at the conditions that these workers were living in, uh, the, the conditions that they worked, that they lived in, the basic – they're living in the – working in the, the equivalent of tenements uh, because of the laws in Qatar. Migrant workers aren't allowed to live anywhere near the city, so they were housed. And you're talking about 120 degree temperatures. Yeah, and the 700 because there's no listing for Biden construction action. Everything is natural causes heart attack. So when you look at the repatriated bodies to places like Nepal and parts of South Asia, India, Pakistan, parts of Africa, the conservative, the most conservative estimate is 700. The realistic one probably put it closer into the, the range of about 10,000. I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you one thing. I, I've seen a lot of things I wouldn't support, but, brother, this is one of the ones that would be right at the top. I would never, ever, ever. In fact, the Foxes, they spent all this money and put this on television. I guarantee you I will never see one kick in that tournament. I will never see anything that has anything to do with that. I think it's a disgrace for the United States. I think it's a disgrace for soccer. And I just can't believe that they're allowing this to happen. Disgrace for the world. You, when you arrive at the conundrum that I had, which is as somebody who covers soccer, who reports on soccer for you, it's part of my responsibility to keep up on this. I have to watch it. I have to follow it. Sure. Well, I don't say you don't. I'm, not, I'm just saying me. I don't say somebody else yeah. should follow my example. I just It, it won't be me. You, you have to do it. It's your job. Yeah, she, as as Mustick pointed out, as Mustick pointed out in the article on Sunday, and rightfully so, let's see how much time Fox devotes to all these negative things that they have allowed to happen to have this World Cup played in Qatar, and, and you know, will they even mention, you know, seven thousand people dying? Will they even mention any of this stuff? I don't think they will, and neither does he. Well, and I agree because the history of this, if I look back at the last couple of World Cups going back to 2006 in Germany, so which leaves me with the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, and 2018 in right. Russia. I, there were issues, right? You want to talk about the remaining racial disparities in South Africa and the poverty of black South Africans remaining after apartheid in 
2010, it was there. ESPN did not talk about it. The poverty, the financial but, mismanagement. But my God, we passed that now. I mean, I mean, isn't this? Well, we're we're past it, but I'm saying this is sports washing. Oh, I know, but I'm saying, that, you know, isn't it, isn't it incumbent upon the networks to emphasize what's as you said? What does it count that they paid a million some dollars to get to get the guys vote? A million and a half, or a million two million, whatever it was, a million and something. You said a million and a half, I believe. Don't you think mm-hmm. it's incumbent upon the networks to say, "Hey, we're over here," but th- this is what happened. I wish they would, and I want to see whether or not they will, because I have 12 years and three World Cups worth of proof that suggests that they won't, <laughs> and that we will talk about this now, but come 2 o'clock on Sunday, when the games actually start, it'll all be about sports, and everything will right. be great. And we'll white we'll, we'll sports wash over all that because it'll all be about this. What I can guarantee you is this will be the no, least God. attended World Cup, and it'll make them the least amount of money because there are no sponsors interested, there are no fans interested in going, and it'll be the least watched, it'll be the least attended. And it'll be the lowest revenue drawing World Cup probably uh, in recent memory. Roger. Well, I ag- I agree with that, and and just to, to follow up with both with both of you are acknowledging. I mean, look at uh, China with the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, you know, and there were payoffs there. And look at the the way they controlled. Uh, you had to use uh, what their cell phone. Uh, they didn't want any uh, bad information coming out of the country. And it wouldn't surprise me that if the networks start bad-mouthing Qatar, it's not like the way where where, the, uh, where we live in this country, where there's freedom of speech. They're liable to just go in and grab them and, and lock them up. Uh, uh, you know, Brittany Griner, who was a, a star at Baylor and also in the WNBA, she was just moved from one prison to another, and as of the other day, they don't know where she is. I don't think nine her years they're giving, they gave her nine years in this new prison. Nine years, yeah, and, we, and we, then they uh, put her in another prison. Roger, we've already seen this happen. Uh, Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated, who's one of the great soccer journalists in this country, was reported that he was outside of the press area and he went to take a picture of a slogan that they had put up on the wall, and the Qatari officials told him he had to delete it. And they sat there and watched him on his cell phone while he deleted the picture and told him he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, And this is not taking any pictures or reporting anything. He was taking a picture of a slogan that they had put up on the wall outside of the press, the, uh, press area. Well, Mike, before we run out of time, let's get to the let's get to the Washington Football Club because so much news there, it's unbelievable. But more importantly, uh, they've got to be very, very happy with the performance. They go four and four when they beat the Eagles the other night. Uh, they are ecstatic down here, and as much as I think it was more of a case of the Eagles losing the game than Washington necessarily winning it. Uh, this was 
that sort of game that the Washington Commanders pull off. They are good for one of these a year. Last year was a shock win over the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. This year it was ending the Eagles' eight-game winning streak. Um, they The defense, which I, I think has been the big story, much improved since the last time the Birds played them. Uh, they're getting after the quarterback. In the run, they're a lot more stable in the secondary. Taylor Heineke, I don't know if he's anything better than a backup in the NFL, but he is that guy who comes in when you need a spark, and he just knows how to get a team motivated and how to compete. And, you know, for, for, for all the skills, all the talent that you can scout for, that intangibility, intangible of just competition and a guy who's unafraid really is an important thing to a team. And so he's 3-1 and one as a starter. He'll be starting this week for the command. Oh, sure. Against the, yeah. You know, Carson Wentz hasn't been cleared apparently through uh, injury protocol, but Taylor Heineke will be starting this week when they go up against the uh, Texans. And, you know, this is a team that has a legit shot to now go from one and three where we thought they were basically dead in the water to six and five. And, you know, right, that puts them in the thick of the, the, the hunt for the NFC playoffs. Absolutely. Ross, Ross Tucker said that this morning and he, uh, uh, on WIP, but he had, uh, did the game on Monday night. I talked about him earlier, Mike, uh, on uh, Westwood one. And he said that, and, and he, they, the whole morning team was giving a lot of credit uh, to Ron Rivera for uh, keeping that team together during all the turmoil last week that went on at the at the, uh, the commander's uh, facility, you know, the legal issues and everything. All of that, and I, I think I was some, you know, Ron Rivera's a good leader, and that is why he has been as a respected head coach as he has been. He knows how to get a team together. He knows how to keep them together. He was able to get all of that, you know, despite everything that happened legally, whether you want to talk about the the, the, the court case against uh, Dan Snyder, the commander's response and invoking the injury to Brian Robinson, what he was able to do was galvanize them and get this team in a position where they were going to go out and they were going to throw – every haymaker that they possibly had at the Eagles. And they caught him on the chip. And the Eagles helped them out. They did not execute as well as they did. I, st- I believe, as I said before, I think the Eagles lost this as much as the commanders won it. But they well, were we had Bill Berge on just before you, uh, Mike, and uh, he said the same thing I thought. When they, when they picked off that fumble in the very first, what, minute and a half of the game, and rolled in for a touchdown to take a 7 nothing lead. I agreed with Bill Burke. I thought it was going to be a blowout. And when they were able yeah. to come back and reorganize and win that game, I thought that was pretty special. But that, that, that was the big difference. Under normal circumstances, the commander's teams that I've, I've seen in the past 
when they picked that up and when they rolled in, they would have shut down. Instead, this team came out and said, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to play harder, we're going to execute. We believe that we have a shot. And Well, Mike, thank you very, very much. And also, uh, uh, sort of put you on the spot about Katoa. I know you don't have anything to do with it, but hockey, is, I mean, soccer is your sport. And uh, I just never realized that something like that hey, was taking I'm place. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm very, 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 very happy tonight that that was the conversation that we had. Because I think that we do uh, need to have that conversation and talk about that and put it out there that, look, this is what's going on. And the more people who understand that and are willing to say, like, this was not right. I'm glad that that was the conversation that we had. That said, I will say, hey, watch the U.S. men's national team. They've got a shot. They don't have a shot. But let's enjoy it while we have it. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks, uh, Mike. Have a great week. Let's go right back to the Washington area. Doug Hamilton is on the line, our professional PGA. And uh, I've had such beautiful weather. It's hard to believe that uh, (laughs) – Your club, Doug, not getting a little activity. I know a lot of your members head for Florida, but uh, I guess it was a little chillier today, 45 degrees. But most of the time, over the last few weeks, it's been up around 65, 70, 71 degrees. Have you had any action at the club, or are you pretty much shut down? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the the weather was so nice and conducive to playing golf, but uh, we've taken a a turn here towards uh, wintertime, and... um, you know, they're already starting uh, in this area to put out their winter forecasts. And, um, you know, we've had frost delays. We've had all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably time to either go south or, or figure out what you can do indoors. And my other question, golf-wise, uh, Greg Norman is uh, very much in the news over the last week now, a little controversy now about what they're going to do with LIV and, and what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And, uh uh, some of your thoughts on what you read about Greg Dorman. Is he going to be pushed out? Um, the only thing I really saw, I know that, um, you know, I know uh, uh, Tiger Woods and, and Roy McIlroy are business partners at this point. I know that they've uh, gone into a venture here. Um, but Rory was quoted as saying that Greg needs to go. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think the, the breadth of, what I what I read of uh, Roy McIlroy's kind of statement was that, you know, we, we need to get an adult in the room, and it's basically not Greg Norman to figure out, you know, how these two tours can coexist and how they can either challenge each other or somehow benefit each other. So um, I think well, they're trying to get the, the uh, CEO of Taco Bell right to uh, <laughs> come over and become the uh, the speaking force for the for the new yeah, golf league. Great. I don't know. Great. Yo Kiero Taco Bell. That's great. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, jump in here. I just got I'm, yeah. all, I'm all wiped out. <laughs> Why? What, the uh, what exactly is the issue with uh, with Greg Norman? They, was as he's really been the spokesperson uh, yeah. and the organizer from the beginning, from everything I've heard from you fellows. Yeah, I mean, well. As far as I know, I mean, I think you're looking at a situation where Greg Norman has been, as I mentioned in the past, a thorn in the side of the PGA, and I think he started the 54 tour um, in an effort to stick it up the backside, if you will, of the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what we're probably talking about now is that 
you know, can the, the LIV tour exist? Can the PGA tour exist? Can we figure out a way that these two can coexist? Can we figure out, you know, as I mentioned, can they benefit each other? Can they compete against each other? Can we have, you know, cross-pollination of people that go back and forth, just like we did the European tour? I mean, you know, what's the future of that tour as it pertains to other, you know, ventures? Um, so, um, I, I don't think that Greg Norman is interested in, I think he started or became this, you know, person to um, supplant, if you will, the PGA Tour. And I think what we're looking at now is a way that we can coexist. And I don't think he's that guy to, to have that conversation with. I yeah, agree with you 100%. I think that's the reason they, they have to force him out of the room because you're not going to get any continuity. And, and as Roy McIlroy said, and of course, uh, Tiger Woods has always been in favor of the PGA. Never, never hesitating sure. there, as, as Rory. So I agree with you. I think until they get uh, Norman out of the room, uh, they're not going to be able to come to any agreement. Right. Roger, you know, it, would, um, it would be like it would be like the uh, AFL and the NFL, uh, sure. you know, back in in the day. And uh, wasn't Lamar Hunt was the one. Uh, for the AFL that really got things going, I guess, wasn't he, with for uh, the merger? Well, listen, more, more recently you can talk about the USFL and how that, you know, um, changed things, if you will. Um, you know, you had a lot of prominent players that, that played in the USFL, uh, Jim Kelly and Steve Young and, and multiple Reggie others. White. that Sure, uh, Herschel Walker. I mean, all those guys that, you know, that made that decision. Um you know, where's the USFL now? So um, I think I think on a more important topic, you know, each week that I come on here, you know, Don's always the first person to tell me the Ravens blew a lead or they didn't play good in the second half. I'd, I'd like to have Don talk about the, the, the feebles, if you will, and how they played on, on uh, against the commanders. We've, all, we've already discussed that at right. more, uh, nauseum. We, right. had, we had Bill Berge on with us for a half hour. And uh, I agree with I agree with all what all the coaches said at all the press conferences. The coaching was terrible, the play was terrible, the game was terrible, and the best team on that night won. That's all I can say. And the officials were terrible. Roger, they they changed they changed the words to the song. It's now "Cry Eagles Cry." No, 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 no. Listen, not true. We're not not crying, and and uh, I, I'll tell you, listening to talk radio, I'll tell you, uh, Doug, people are not crying. They're uh, no, they, they the best they could have happened to them to lose the game. Yeah, well, yeah, somewhere they're real. They're, now listen, somewhere that last on Monday play, night. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say that bad call that was missed on the face mask. Okay. That was that was bad. There were a lot of bad calls, and that well, I, that should would, would cause the fumble. There's no doubt about it. Sure. I mean, listen, Al Morgani's in Canada, and the Canadians are up in uh, in arms about the officiating of that game. So, yeah, I didn't you know, actually that that uh, what was it Brandon Graham or whoever hit Taylor Heineke. Um, I didn't necessarily think that was a penalty that worthy. Was another one. That was another. I, I, I yeah. mean, I was I was totally objective. And look, my my wife is a, is a Commanders fan, and and she was pretty excited to see them win. And I can only imagine that that my mother in law was up all night hooting and hollering and carrying on. Uh, but 
I, I lost I lost a, a fantasy football matchup. The guy that I was playing against had Jalen Hurts and um, Goddard, and I know that he threw him a touchdown, which was basically the the end of the road for me. Um, but but I mean, objectively looking at it, I mean, I I don't think that the Eagles ran the football particularly well or made an effort to do so. I think that um, well, they didn't. Oh, you're right. I think that I think Jalen Hurts is um, a unique talent. I think he can. Uh, throw from the pocket. I think he can make things happen by getting out of the pocket. I think he can flat out run the football. Um, I think he tries to force the ball to A.J. Brown on many occasions as his number one receiver. I think that Devonta Smith is could very well be the number one receiver on any other football team, most other football teams. Um, he catches everything. Um, you know, I think their defense is is very good. Um, in fact, you know, I know that Jordan Davis is hurt, their their first round pick, but Nicobe Dean right. was an all world linebacker from from Georgia who doesn't even he probably plays special teams, but um, they're they're pretty deep. Um, in an eight and one, I think that um, as you mentioned, you know, Don, I think that sometimes a loss can be the best thing that happens uh, to your football team moving forward. Um, you know, I think they play the Colts this week, so we'll. We'll see how that goes. I don't. I mean that. That. I mean the Colts have a fairly good defense uh, offensively. They don't really scare they've anybody. They've got a good running. So. They've got a good running game. So Jonathan they've got Taylor, a good running yeah. game. Jonathan and they've Taylor got a they've really got a head coach. Year. Well, they got a head coach who was an offensive lineman now, Jeff Satterley, and and you know he's going to run. The, and and it all started with Houston. And you can tell uh-huh. your wife it all goes back to the loss of Jordan Davis. Uh, the run yeah. stoppage has has not been there since Jordan right. Davis got injured. Bottom line, that's correct. I mean, look, if you're ever in doubt and you have an NFL draft, just take a defensive player from Georgia and you'll be fine. But mm-hmm. that was a, that was a topic to, of discussion. I think it was, you know, leading up to the Houston game with regard to Indianapolis and Jeff Saturday and you know um, Steve Smith uh, on the NFL Network was just up in arms about how he you know, basically jump the line, quote-unquote, to, to become, you know, a head football coach, um, you know, and how there were many more deserving people uh, on that staff. Right, Most right. of which were, you know, persons of color. And it was, you know, I don't know. Look, I, I, I don't – in terms of how I feel about that, I think Steve Smith was a little bit animated about, you know, what, what he said and, and how he said it. Um, you know, Mr. Arce during the season doesn't have to observe the Rooney rule and doesn't have to – you know, do anything, you know, otherwise other than, than fill the position. Um, he felt comfortable with Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday must have been hard for him to go into that building and, and not really, you know, know the schemes or the, or where they currently were and, and come out of that with a win. I take my hat off to him. I don't begrudge anybody for feeling like they don't – they deserve the chance um, otherwise. So, I mean, it's, it's a sticky situation there, but, you know, I mean, I'm – I'm not an Indianapolis fan. Um, you know, either way, I don't really care what happens, you know what I mean, to those teams. Right, so. right. But let me ask you this. Well, I'm a, I'm Nick, a we, had, we started off by talking about the Eagles, and, you know, and they were beaten in every facet of the game. But my my bottom line on it would be that if they had not had that call at the NFC game when the quarterback yeah. deals down, and, yep. and as Bill Berge said, they didn't really hit him. I mean, it wasn't like no. they, you know. Hung, but, I mean, he, he was – I got to give him credit. I mean, to think that quickly, to do something like that and and get a 15-yard penalty and keep keep the ball. 
But my feeling was, even as badly as they played, had not he made that play to get that 15 yards and get the ball back, I think the Eagles mm-hmm. would have won the game. It's certainly possible. Um, you know, so many of these NFL games come down to a bang-bang kind of, you know, right. ball or play or, um, you know, the kickers that have such an influence over the end of that game with, with what they do. Um, you know, it's – you know, you, you you play 60 minutes and it, and it you know or 59 in this case or whatever the you know and change and and you know come down to that it's it's unfortunate but you know um, I guess the sooner in life you understand that life's not fair the better off you're going to be I guess. Roger. Well, the other thing is the game the Redskins game against Houston home or away. You know, Doug. I think it's in Houston. Okay, you know they have played some very good football. I mean, the uh, the not, the points in the losses is very minimal, and mm-hmm. and they played the Eagles tough. Okay, so you know who's to say that the uh, uh, Commodores or Commanders when they go uh, uh, into uh, into Houston, uh, they may have shot the wad this you mm-hmm. know against the Eagles, and they could have well, a letdown. They're it's three point favorite at the moment. Three point favorite. Yeah, I mean, look, anytime, anytime you go on the road, you know, that's always a tough task. Um, you know, as as you mentioned, Roger, to, to come off a pretty big high in, in, in beating the Eagles and then go on the road against a lesser team, um, can you maintain the same level of, of excitement and, and and play the same type of game? Um, obviously, division rivals are different than, than outside of that, but, look, a win's a win. I think that Ron Rivera um, probably understands the recipe, um, you know, to getting a win. I think they have um, a well above average defense. I think you'll see Chase Young come back this week to add, you know, something to their defense. Especially uh, when moving, you're trying to do it back-to-back weeks on the road. Well, he's moving forward with, with Taylor Heineke, which I, I think he knows what he's getting out of him. And I think that, um, you know, establishing the run and, and, and playing, you know, um, Robinson and, and Gibson and, and um, allowing Heineke to, to kind of create different plays and, you know, just... Can you, can you imagine him thinking of that, though, in a, in a moment of pressure when the game's on the line and he decides to kneel down and get a fifth, yeah. hopefully, that, that he's going to get a 15-yard right. penalty because, I mean, I, I, sure. I mean that's, I, that was really impressive to me that he could have that kind of control of what his thinking was at that moment yeah. to decide I, to I do would that. Agree. I would agree, you know, in those kind of clutch moments, um, you'll, you'll see people make the right call. You'll see people make the wrong call. Um, you know, obviously in this case, he made the right one. I think that, um, you know, obviously my forte here is talking about uh, the Ravens and looking forward to, you know, coming off of a bye week and, and getting a lot of guys healthy and a lot of guys that uh, were, you know, pretty much ineligible to play. You've got, so many people coming back and, and, you know, playing against the Carolina team at home. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I feel like I haven't seen the Ravens play in long enough that I'm really excited to see them play. Well, that's the other thing that about the Monday night game, uh, that was a uh, 13 uh, day uh, mm. gap from right. playing on a Thursday night and then playing on, uh, you know, having the buy or like the right. mini buy, so well, they, to speak. And then yeah, Monday they, night they went into, Sure, they went into New Orleans and and, um, and played a game and beat them. And 
then they got their actual buy. So, I mean, you know, right. there's a lot of you're, good You're a 12-point favorite this week. Ooh, 12 points. That's a big one. Ooh. That is big. Um, yeah. You know, once you get to double digits in the NFL, I mean, that's that's a slaughter. Um, well, I mean, look at the end of the day. New Orleans have, is up and down. Though. No, we're playing Carolina this week. I think you have um, – Oh well, then I can understand that. But listen, Carolina, you the know, over, over under was forty three and a half, and the, and the Ravens are favored by twelve going in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you've got Baker Mayfield, uh, a familiar foe, uh, coming into Baltimore to to play. I think he's probably good for anywhere from one to three turnovers himself. I, uh, I based agree. On, based on how he's played, I think you have. Um, Mark Andrews is going to come back healthy. You're going to have Gus Edwards uh, back healthy. Um, you have David Ajabo, who's been deployed, who was their second-round draft pick to get after the quarterback. Ty Bowser has another week under his belt. Um, you know, I think you have a lot of reason, if you're a Ravens fan, to be excited about uh, playing this football game. And, and as I mentioned, you know, I think, you know, you've got Carolina, you've got um, – I think Jacksonville coming up. You've got a couple teams on the schedule that you look at. I think they still have Atlanta to play. Um, you know that you look at and think, man, we can we can win some of these games and solidify ourselves. I mean, look, the the division itself is just not. I mean, Pittsburgh's not that good. Cleveland hasn't played that well, and and Baltimore's already beat Cincinnati. So um, yeah, they're getting their quarterback this week. God, whether he'll, how well he'll perform will be interesting to see. You're right. Yeah, he started right. practicing this week. Well, yeah. he's got what two more weeks before he comes back, and um, yeah, you know, at that point, I don't know if you know his relevance is is going to be relevant, if you will, to them, you know, making a playoff push uh, or not. Um, you know, I don't think the ball bounced the way they thought it would bounce in terms of him being. No, able I to think play they may be too suspension. far. I think they may be too far down to try to right. uh, to resurrect this year's team. It's quite possible. I mean, um, you know, the fastest way to get into the playoffs is to win your own division. And, you know, so that's pretty good where the Ravens sit right now in terms of of winning their division. What did you you think? We talked about this earlier on the first part of the show tonight. Uh, (laughs) Rodgers and and Green Bay, Mm. he went went head-to-head with his coach. And uh, he still did come on to win the game. I mean, I give him credit for that. He he got the win in the end, but holy smokes, it's got to be tough times at Green Bay. Yeah, they they haven't looked real good. Um, You know, I think Aaron Rodgers is a fabulous quarterback. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer and, um, you know, one one of the best in the game. Um, Well, we're out of believe it right on there because we're out of time. Thank well, you very much, Doug. Always a pleasure. We had a great, great show today with great guests. Thank you so much, Roger. We'll talk to you later. Put it back in the hands of our week. producer, Mr. Frank Carroll. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. It's not all bad guys. A lot of good guys out here working. These programs are also dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman Jeffrey David Curtis, 
the Torah Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childress, San Diego Officer Mike Hemmer, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant, Sergeant Char- Chris LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Christian, Lakeland, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, National County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Liz Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Pope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant uh, Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Wilmington Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hardgrave, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. The sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hollow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Shemalek ma yelama Shemahezahilma Sona Shenevoratfet Hakuigaget ma yelama
dispatch to 1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999 responded to his last emergency. End of watch. May God rest his soul.